Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Speaking about the moons, my name is Angelo, and I am back, as always, with the Swedish superstar himself, Mr. Don Horning. Hey, Angelo. Moons are sudden. Wow. I'm doing great, because we're going to talk about the moons. That is awesome. Uh, before we dive too deep, uh, last episode I brought up uh, about the Patreon. Um, I want to bring it up again, because due to COVID and my state reshutting things down. I was unable to set up our Patreon account quite yet because I couldn't get into a bank to set up a new bank account for it. So we'll get around to it at some point. I'm hoping by the next episode when we do the Rings of Saturn that it will be taken care of, but I can't control COVID. No, nobody can. You sure you can't, Dan? I know you got some pull. You can swing this, right? Oh, no. I don't think I can. (laughs) Okay, so... What we're going to do today is we're going to go over the moons of Saturn, and there are a complete total of 82 of these suckers. That's a record. Jupiter is way behind. Yeah, I mean, a a paltry 79 sitting at Jupiter. Like, what are they thinking? Then, of course, you have all the moonlets in the rings, but we'll talk about them next time. But 82 is like regular moons, but there, there are things, the difference between a moon and a particle in the Saturn system is quite hard to define. Well, I mean, if you're counting every little chunk of ice in the ring as a moon... But they, have, they have a rock that's one kilometer. Is that a moon? I mean, Jupiter yeah. would be a moon. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I just I don't know how we would count all of them. <laughs> so we'll just give the victors a Saturn. Yes, moon we'll just race. give it to them. Because, yes. I mean, we find stuff all the time that's like a meter log, and people want to call it a, a second Earth moon. Well, there's probably chunks of ice in the... Uh, in the rings that's a meter long. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's the meter. Right. So how do you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, I, I don't know. We're that's just going to go with what difference. NASA says. That's the difference between the, the Saturn rings and all other rings on, uh, on the giant planets, because here we have huge chunks of stuff in the rings, which we don't have at Jupiter, Neptune, or that other place. Uranus? 
Okay, I'll say it the right way. <laughs> I'm not going to act seven. Like so you got to realize that these moons come literally in all shapes and sizes, and they're almost every composition you can possibly think of. Some of them have geothermic activity. Some of them do not. Some of them are kind of dead. Some of them are just big ice balls. Th they uh, also do stunts that no other moon system does. This is by far the most alive moon system there. There are Trojan moons, there are co-orbitals, there are, like, strange stuff going on at Saturn. And don't, do not forget about Peggy. 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 What's Peggy? Peggy is either a moon that is forming or a moon that is disintegrated. No one's figured out what it is yet. Nice. Um, the, the, that's what it's officially named. It, for some reason, it's Peggy, but it hasn't completely formed into a moon or it hasn't completely fallen apart yet. So it's kind of in its process one way or the other. So it's either a moon that we didn't count and it would have been 83, or it will be a moon and it will be 83. When? I, we don't know. I love it. So literally everything that could possibly be going on around this planet is going on around this planet. <laughs> oh, yes. So real quickly, we're going to go over the moons. However, I will say that the two we're going to focus on for this episode particularly is going to be in Titan and Enceladus, because we can't go over all 82 of them. I don't have the time for that. And we don't have really the information for that. Of course, Enceladus and Titan are amazing. So, well, they, they are far, far more amazing than the others. They're the two with the most scientific possibilities in front of us. As far as we can't, we can study these moons and find something new. It's not like basically finding an asteroid, which we kind of know. You know, once you figure out the composition of something, with a lot of these moons, all it is is the composition. They don't have atmospheres. They don't really have anything going on around them. But those two moons are different, and we will dive deep into that in a moment. But real quickly, here are the named moons of Saturn. Aegon, Iger, Alborux, Amphi, Atlas. Oh, this is a tough one. Bebhedion, Bergelmir, Bestia, Calypso, Daphnis, Dion, Enceladus. Epinetheus, Arrakos, Farbalti, Fenrir, Forniot, Gripe, Hetty, Helen, Hyperion. Some of these names, you know, okay, so I hate to cut in right here. Originally, the Saturn names were all supposed to be based off of Greek mythology for the moons. Uh, well, they ran out of Specifically, Titans from the Greek mythology. Yeah, Helen, you know, a lot of them. They ran out of that, obviously, and they kind of jumped into your world. So, <laughs> like, you know, some of these are like Viking names, like Frenrire. I'm like, okay, at least I know that one. But, like, this next one is Hykorkin. Yeah, we got the Inuit moons and the Gallic moons and the Norse moons for yeah, the original right. one. Ildrak, Janus, Yonaxa, Kari, Kuvik, Loge, Methane, like the gas. <laughs> Mimas, which Mimas is kind of interesting. I do have to throw in a couple things here. Um, it's about as big as Enceladus. Uh, it does look like the Death Star, the Death Star from Star Wars, because of where the Herschel Crater is located and how big it is. It's also the smallest body in the universe that is shaped round due to its, or not in the universe, but in our solar system, that is round due to self gravitation. So anything smaller than this is not a perfect sphere. It's also the the uh, impact that caused the Herschel crater is probably as close to the limit where you can hit something without breaking it. As you can see, the impact on the other side of Mimas. So yeah, uh, I mean, you just you look at the crater alone. It's like two thirds 
<laughs> or probably a third of the planet is this one crater. It, it, it's actually quite a feat. It really looks like the Death Star. It really does. <laughs> it's also the first of the sort of large moons outside the, the main rings. True. Okay, so back to the hard reading. Okay. Mantelferi, Naivi, Palak, Palin, Pan, Pandora, Phoebe, Polydeusis, Prometheus, Rhea, Sar- Sarnak, Scothi, Skal, Surter, Sudgrat, Tarkik, Tarvos, Telesto, Titus, Thymir, Titan, Ymir, and uh, 29 other moons that are unnamed. And I know I butchered probably half of those names I uh, said out loud, so don't kill me for it. <laughs> you, you did the Norse ones almost perfectly, I assure you. I, I, I mean, I hope, but I'm pretty sure I butchered half of those. So we'll move right into Titan, though, because Titan is the one. It's the one we have so many questions about. It's just, it's so big. It's the second largest moon in our uh, solar system behind Ganymede. It is larger than two planets. Well, I'm sorry, a planet and a proto-planet. Mercury and Pluto. <laughs> well, it's larger than the other dwarf planets as well. It, it is, uh, but, you know, I still want to consider Pluto a planet, so it's good to say two planets. It would definitely be a planet of its own if uh, it orbited the sun. It also makes up 96% of the mass around Saturn, including the rings. So that's a big boy. Yes. Um, it's also the only moon in the solar system with a thick atmosphere. It's actually 60% thicker than the Earth. So if you was just in, we'll say, the sky, it would feel like you were swimming. It's so unique. It's crazy. It's the one place with a thick atmosphere uh, apart from the Earth in the solar system, right? Uh, unless you count Venus, which has a pretty thick atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, if you counted... Venus and Jupiter, those probably have pretty thick atmospheres. Jupiter is an atmosphere. Exactly. I mean, it's a very thick atmosphere. But the question really becomes, you know, what do you consider an atmosphere compared to what do you consider the makeup of said body? Um, Uh, There's another fact about Titan that makes it totally alone together with the Earth. The rivers and the lakes. Rivers, lakes, but they're not really lakes like you'd think because they're methane. You know, natural gas? But now you're being like, lake racist. I mean, it's literally methane and ethane. Uh, methane is natural gas. They're in liquid form. They're near the poles. Um, strangely, it rains this stuff. That's so weird. It, it, what we use to heat our house just rains from the sky as liquid. If I can't get the images out of my head from the, the probe from Huygens landing on Titan. It's uh, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's obviously very cold there. Be, that's the only way you're going to get it like that. Um, Everything it around was the, Saturn is pretty cold. Well, I mean, it's they're quite a ways away. <laughs> yep. So, Titan was discovered in 1655 <laughs> by Mr. Herschel. He discovered pretty much all of the Hellenic, yeah, the Saturn's Hellenic moons. Um, the big boys. The big boys. It has an orbital period of 16 Earth days. If you want to get technical, it's 15 days, 22 hours. Um, It's tidally locked. It has a radius of 1,600 miles for our non-American people. That's 2,575 kilometers. As we were saying about it being pretty far away, and, you know, that's why it's so cold, 
it takes 80 minutes for sunlight to hit it. When you compare that to the Earth, the Earth takes about what, Dan? Eight minutes? Yeah, that's, that's about accurate. So it's quite a ways away. So it takes like 100 times longer. I know it, it, the math doesn't quite work out that way in, in your mind, but I, I read that on one of the NASA sites. It's like 100 times longer than what it would take to get here. So it's 10 times longer, right? If it's or ten, yeah, it's 10 oh. times longer, but the temperature oh. from it is 100 oh. times yes. less. Because um, I guess that's how that math works. It's also orbiting pretty far from Saturn compared to everything is going on right up to half a million kilometers from Saturn. Uh, Rhea, where Rhea is. And yes. then you go way out to get to Titan, which is about 1.2 million. That's about three times as far out the moon of Earth. Yeah, and the, just like our moon, Titan's leaving. Oh, no. That's, that's so sad. How, how fast? Uh, four inches per year compared to our moon, which is 1.5 inches per year. Okay. So it is, like, taking off, and it's already quite a distance away. And at some point, I'm being theoretical here, it could slip away from Saturn. The sun has probably given up by that time. I would think. It will get caught by the sun's gravitational pull, and that could be our planet nine. Yes. Contempt. With a really strange name, because Titan wouldn't make sense for a planet that small. Hmm, True. (laughs) But, you know, it, it... Technically, could be possible that something like that could happen. Um, the it's very Earth-like, uh, except you know it's way colder. As we said, it's about 290 degrees below Fahrenheit. Um, that's 179 degrees Celsius below. Bring your jacket. Yes. So the ice acts as what we would think of as rock. Um, and that goes for the whole Saturn system. Most of the stuff around Saturn is water, water ice. Very much. Uh, the uh, It might have volcanic, uh, it ha- has some volcanic activity, we believe, but it's not the lava that we know. Um, hydrocarbon sand dunes <laughs> okay. exist all over, which is actually, it would look a lot like, have you ever seen the uh, Black Desert in, in Nambia? No, I haven't. Okay, it's worth looking at pictures of that. They, they have a lot of black sand. That's kind of what it looks like. Kind of like, or you could just go, you know, into your kitchen, grab your coffee can, open that sucker up, look at your coffee grounds. That's about what the surface of Titan, we believe, looks like. Yeah, just like coffee ground. Uh it has few visible craters. So this is how we know about, you know, it's either it has plate tectonics or it's really young. We don't believe it's really young, but we have no – NASA has no concrete proof of plate tectonics yet for it. But it it just acts so much like Earth in a lot of respects, just with di- a different composition, that we believe that's, that's the only reason why we can't see very many of their craters. Because like the Earth, with the plate tectonics, it just kind of makes them disappear. Oh, couldn't there be uh, – it be caused by volcanism, so the, it's resurfacing? Well, volcanism happens through plate tectonics, though. It does? Always? Well, to our current knowledge, I believe so. Does it on Io, for example? I'm not sure. Uh, I think think there there can be volcanism without plate tectonics, but now I'm not sure either. Yeah, I'm not. uh, You're you're making me question what I thought I knew. Hmm. So I think there could be a mechanism where you just spew out stuff through... um, Tributanic activity and then sort of get a new surface. Well, what would create the fissure to make it go to the top? Uh, some really some mechanism. Question. Io, the Jupiter gravity. 
Yeah, it's like kind of being pulled out. I don't know. Um, Can somebody who knows answer us? <laughs> yeah, please do. Because I don't want to put out bad information. I really do not. We're only uh, astronomy after all. Right. We are not astronomers. So we have no idea, though, about its internal structure, really. There is some models that have been put out there. The most accepted model uh, says that this thing has five layers. The core is just a layer of rock. Then you have a water ice sheet, which is actually ice six, which is a highly pressurized ice. Then you have a saltwater liquid. Then you have the water ice shell. Then it's atmosphere. Amazing. Yeah, so a lot going on there. The saltwater liquid is an area that we're going to touch on a little bit later. Uh, there's a lot that could be going on there. Ooh, uh, its forming is very confusing to most scientists, and it's because they, they take nitrogen fourteen fifteen and they try to match it with other objects in our solar system, and it has a match. It's a lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the Oort cloud. What? What's in the Oort cloud? Just a bunch of random stuff. But it has a the nitrogen composition matches it, huh? but its nitrogen ratio, the amount of nitrogen that it has, suggests that it was very early solar system formation, like the exact same cloud that formed the sun. Okay. But we know for a fact it was not created from the Saturn subnebula, which is how most of Saturn's moons formed. Saturn formed the crap that was left over, kind of gelled together, and. It became that became its moons. Titan's a little different in that aspect because it came from somewhere else. It either came from the sun or the Oort cloud. Interesting. Um, as for the salt water liquid layer, what what's going on down there? That must mean a subsurface ocean. It does. Which, if there isn't a possibility of a life on Titan, this is where it would be. So, it you, had, so you really have like. Lakes and rivers on top of something, on top of an ocean. Well, you have, like, a big rock. Then you have a huge ocean. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry. Then you have, like, a big ice cube around said rock. Then you have, like, an, a huge ocean lake thing. 
but it, and it's legitimately salt water like we have in our oceans. Then you have a shell above it of normal ice, you know, no salt, what have you, just normal ice. And then you have the atmosphere. So, yes, there's all these different things floating on top of ice, basically. You know, all these rivers, all these lakes of methane and ethane, that's on top of a sheet of ice. Hmm. But down in the saltwater area, because, you know, there could be some geothermic activity, as we've already kind of spoken to, and you have salt, so you have minerals, you have water. That usually, we believe, is kind of the building blocks for, uh, what was that word? Life. <gasps> That's it. <laughs> yeah, if we're going to find something on Titan where, you know, if we're going to find any signs of life on Titan, particularly, it's probably going to be in those depths. There was, for a few years, people talking about the possibility of, uh, instead of carbon being the base for life, that could it use methane or ethane on this planet to create life? Yes. It's a possibility, but we have, as far as what we know, as far as what life is, all life that we know is created by carbon. Yeah, but if, if life, if there could be life in the liquid methane, then that life could at least see the sun at some point. But, yeah, uh, see it. In the subsurface ocean, it's harder. A little bit, but that doesn't mean that it can't exist there. I mean, we have, if you go to the deepest parts of our ocean next to the geothermal vents, you find life. Yes. I mean, microbial life, you find complex life. There's, it, it, it just exists around that. So there is a possibility there, um, but obviously more studying will have to be done. This is one of the locations that I know NASA particularly is looking at to do further exploration to because it is so interesting and so different than most other places in our solar system besides ourselves that it does really lend itself to the idea of maybe we should go look at this. We really should. There is a NASA Phase 2 grant from 2015 for a design study of a submarine to explore the seas of Titan. Ooh. But oh, it won't get to the subsurface ocean. There are subsurface surface oceans that are easier to reach than this one. Well, like the next planet we're going to talk about. Oh, yes. Unless you have something else that you want to cap off on Titan. Oh, there's so much on Titan, but let's proceed. Okay. So the next planet we're going to talk about is Enceladus. How do you guys say it? Uh, I say it's a moon. Well, the last time you said it was what, Enceladus? Uh, I, I think I'm giving you um, your right on Enceladus. Okay. Um, I was like, okay, you know, you made it sound like Mexican food, which made me like it even more. Enceladus <laughs> <laughs> uh, is a very icy moon. It's 313 miles wide. Uh, it's not really that big. It's... Uh, Pluto's Charon is twice as wide as this. Oh, that's small. Yeah, it really is small, but there's a lot going on for something this small, which, you know, when you think about it in that way, when we were talking about Mimas earlier, Mimas is slightly smaller than it. So this is almost at the limits for what could be round. Yes. Um, but there's a lot going on on this little tiny ice ball. No craters. None whatsoever. Well, there's... Very small craters. There's tiger stripes, they're called. Uh, but the makeup of it, we believe, is a liquid water ocean beneath a shell of ice. This seems very similar to Europa. Mm-hmm. Um, it has most chemical materials needed for life right on it. It likely has hydrothermic vents spewing hot, mineral-rich water into its ocean that's under said ice. 
it by itself makes all of ring E. Yep. Now, you're probably wondering, well, how does it do that? Dan, do you know how it does that? Volcanoes. Cryovolcanoes spewing out water. Yes, on the South Pole, there are cryovolcanoes that shoot out water, and it doesn't do it slowly. It shoots it out at a pace of about 800 miles per hour, which you would think, oh, you know, most of that then is just going out into space. No, the gravitational pull actually pulls most of it back down, but these are clearly visible to anybody around it. Enough of it, it shoots out so far that a lot of it escapes its own gravitational pull, and that is how Ring E is formed. Until it runs out of water, Ring E is going to be strong. Yes. And so is these... also very close to Saturn compared. It's 62% of distance of our moon, and Saturn is a lot larger than the Earth. So this thing is hanging around pretty close to Saturn. Yeah, a couple months ago, we had a flyby from an asteroid. It kind of flew between us and the moon. Oh. That would be, if you look up the distance that it was from us, that's how close this planet is. But one thing I can't understand is the fact that Mimas, which is closer to Saturn, is not affected by Saturn in this way. But this is, Enceladus is affected by the same mechanism as Europa, that there's a gravitational pull from Saturn creating heat. But it doesn't right. happen on Mimas. Yeah, I think Mimas is just a slightly more dead planet. I think there's more, less water, more minerals to it. So, uh, like, I, I think chemical makeup of the planet I, I think it has also, something to do with resonance, that it's located at the yes. wrong place. Um, yeah, and and it's it located at the very, very, very right place. Yeah, and Mimas has a weird wob wobble to it uh, okay. because of the huge crater. So that may actually have something to do with it as well. Okay. Also, it, it from that crater. fine. It was being Enceladus, and then... It got hit, uh, yes. and it started to look like Death Star and died. Pretty much. It was like, you know, they, they, they came in, they had their X-Wing, and they were flying it low on Mimas, right? The Rebels then he got dropped Mimas. the charge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it does have some craters, uh, not many. We have noticed a couple as large as 22 uh, miles or 35 kilometers wide. It is tidally locked. Uh, it's extremely cold. And part of the reason that it is so cold, and I'm talking like 330 degrees below Fahrenheit, that would be 201 degrees Celsius below. That's cold. That is cold. Uh, that's very close to absolute. Well, the large reason why it is so cold compared to its brothers and sisters is because it's mostly smooth and white. And it is the most reflective body in our solar system. You hit this thing with a flashlight, you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shine back very high. It doesn't absorb any, really, of the heat that the sun gives. Huh. You know, the fraction that it gives at that distance, it, it just absorbs almost none of it. So, super, super cold on its surface. Underneath, because, you know, the poles from Saturn and every and geo, we have geothermic activity and everything else. So there is warmness. Um, if you go to the South Pole, where we have the big ring that shoots stuff out, there's really nothing there except uh, house-sized snowballs. Yeah. I mean, ice blocks, whatever. Snowball sounds better. Uh, and the eruptions come from an area called the Tiger Cracks. It looks literally like a cat 
went ahead and just scratched its claws on the bottom of the South Pole, and it has these huge fissures, and that's where it releases all of its stuff. So the rest of the planet, like we said, is very smooth, but these craters are pretty deep. However, if you, because we're talking about how much liquid it spews in and it makes up the E-ring, there's a neat thing about that. If you study any of the crystals, the crystallized ice or water inside of ring E, you are studying Enceladus's ocean. Mm, that's convenient. Very. You don't have to dig. You don't have to put a big drill on it. We can just go in there, scoop up a bunch of them, and we can begin studying it. We've actually done this. Uh, Cassini did it. It had a bucket, bucket like instrument, which reached down, grabbed a bunch of them, and it was like the... What did they find? Well, they found its chemical makeup and whatnot. Okay, there's no fishes. No fishes. No anchovies. Not even a tadpole. Oh. Uh, the sheet, as far as the frozen sheet, it's thick. We're talking 12 to 16 miles. That's 20 to 25 kilometers. But on the South Pole, it's only a half mile to three miles thick, which is another reason why it's able to burst through there so easily. And as we were talking about the hydrothermic activity, as I said earlier, where there's hydrothermic activity and water, we usually find life. So this is a prime subject for study as far as that goes. There is thought that when we, you know, take up some of the buckets of the E-ring, that we may find some microbes that will lead us to finding, oh, wow, there is life in the universe outside of Earth. We know it, and it's right in our backyard. And that's uh, for naming the alien life in the solar system. This is much worse than Europa, because then you would call the microbes on Europa Europeans, whereas these would be Enceladians. Enceladans. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I would just call them mics. Okay. There are actually <laughs> six projects uh, under study right now for going to Enceladus. As they very well should. I mean, we've talked about a few interstellar or solar systemic uh, objects that have the possibility of life at this point. Yes. Of all of them that we've spoken about in the episodes we've done, this is probably the best shot. Of this or Europa? I mean, Europa is a good shot. I look at this one, though, and just go, this is it. It has everything we need wow. and as far as finding it first, because we can study the ring, yeah. I think this is our best shot at finding it. Let's go. All right. I'll just uh, let me grab my walking stick and we'll head on out there. The uh, One of the projects is named the Enceladus Life Finder. As well as it should. I think because we have such a dearth of material that we can just pull. At any time, we don't have to worry about landing anything on anything, so we're not worrying about, you know, relaunching off of any sort of gravitational pull. All we're doing is reaching down, grabbing, and getting out of there. That's something that really should be done. Yeah, as far as studying goes, you really can't get much easier than this. Yeah, it's a one-hundredth of the gravity on Earth on Enceladus. Yeah, but in the ring, it's a lot less than even that. Very true. <laughs> two, two of the projects are actually going to both Titan and Enceladus, mm -hmm. which also sounds like a good idea. I mean, while you're out there, hmm. if you're out there, you might as well visit them all. Wow. Why not? So I noticed earlier this month or late last month, I'm not sure. Um, uh, do you have anything else on Enceladus before I move on? I'm sorry, no, Dan. let's move on. Okay. 
I noticed that you posted something on our Fan of Astronomy Facebook page. I did. Which you should totally go check out. Yes. <laughs> and it was about a new discovery of a, poss- of a possible planet that, you know, is in a habitable zone. Do you want to take this one? Because, I mean, this is kind of your thing. I love to. Uh, okay. Love to, uh, yeah, you do it. All right, works for me. Um, so there's a potentially habitable planet. This was just announced in 2020, so look, not everything in 2020 has been bad. <laughs> Most of it, yes. But this is kind of cool. It's a super Earth. It is 7.6 times Earth mass. That sounds bad. Yeah, it's a big one. And it orbits its sun in 21.8 days. Sounds like a red dwarf. It is a red dwarf. Uh, this is Lassiel 9352 is the red dwarf you're looking at. It is in the constellation Pisces. It is precisely or approximately 10.74 light years away from Earth. Practically uh, next door. Yeah, it's really close. So here's the it's, – it's on the very inner edge of the habitable zone, Goldilocks zone, whatever you want to call it. Its equilibrium temperature is 79 degrees Celsius. So we're talking about some very hot, uh, rather small creatures to survive the gravity. Yeah, I mean, 79 degrees, that's the equilibrium. So that's the average temperature across the planet. So it's very I easy mean, for things to boil there on hot days. Yeah. So my thought would be if, as far as, like, where you could possibly live, you'd almost have to live on the poles. Because, you, you know, if, it's, if it works like our planet does, that should be your colder region. Now, I'm assuming that it has a magnetic shield and everything else like the Earth does. And if that's your colder region, then, okay, if you can get up there and your winters are, you know, 40 degrees Celsius and your summers are only 70 degrees Celsius, yeah, you can live there. It it, it was a particularly good red dwarf, right? It was very stable for red dwarf, if I remember correctly. Yes, because red dwarfs are fairly erratic normally, but this one wasn't. Yeah, and none of our observations give us the idea that, oh, yeah, this this dwarf is just crazy. It's been very stable as long as we've been observing it. So that's good because you need a stable sun. Can you imagine if ours wasn't? Oh, my God. <laughs> so the next part that we're going to talk about in the news, unless you got more to add to this. Oh, go right ahead. Okay, is we found a naked planet. What's a naked planet? Like it's naked. Like Mercury. It doesn't have any core. clothes on. Okay. Not just core. Yeah. Just core. So, and now I know what you're thinking. Well, how do you know it's the core, Angelo? Look, I do. Okay, don't, don't, don't question me. A very, very <laughs> high density, I presume. Very, very high density. How high? So, this thing is the size of Neptune. It, it's believed it was a gas giant, but its gas is all gone. Oh my God. Um, it's from a star called TOI-849b. It is 730 light years away. So you compare that to La Seille, and this thing is way out there. <laughs> um, it has an extremely close orbit, 18 hours. Oh, are you telling me that it's a rock planet that's big as Neptune? No. Once, when it had its gas shell, it would have been as large as Neptune. Oh, but the gas shell has been stripped. Oh. So they believe that it was a gas giant, um, and we're down to just the rock that's in there. The surface temperature of this is uh, 1,500 degrees Celsius. Ouch. Yeah, it's a little warm. <laughs> so it's a hot um, rock. 
Now you're asking, well, how do you know it's a core? How do you know that this came from a gas giant? And again, they're confirming this based off of density. It is only 3.4 times larger than the Earth. Yeah. Okay, this is with the gas stripped away. Yet it is 40 times heavier. Oh, my. Yeah. So this is, I mean, it's all iron, basically, from what we can see. So this is a very, very heavy object. That's why they believe that it's actually an exposed core. It's the first one of these we've ever found in the universe, and I'm sure more exist. But it's really cool to see, oh, wow, that can actually happen because – you do have these th- theories that have been floating around for years that, you know, if Jupiter got too close to the sun, what would happen? Well, the sun would start stealing the gas from Jupiter. What would be left? Well, we're seeing what would be left. Yeah, we, we've seen that happening with other uh, hot Jupiters, right? That they're in the process of losing their gas, but they haven't lost it yet. Exactly. They haven't fully lost it yet. This one has. So, very cool. Its sun is a huge sun. Um, I believe it's one of the... Uh, the blue ones, I believe. I'm not 100% sure. I could be wrong. For all I know, it could be very Earth or very arson like. Um, I'm going off of something that I read and I don't have it pulled up, so you'll have to fact check me on that part. Uh, so I think that's very interesting, very cool, but I have something else that I know Dan really likes this topic. So when I saw this pop up, I was like, oh yeah, I have to. We have to do a deep dive into this one. Is it Planet Nine? It's a grapefruit. Okay. <laughs> so Planet Nine is a grapefruit. Yes. Okay. Potentially. Go on. All right. So there was a study done by two physicists, and they, you know, took the math that we have from the possibility of the mysterious Planet Nine. And really, all we know for sure is there's a source of gravity out there. Now we say, oh, it's going to be X amount of Earth masses. That's how we know it's a planet. That's how we think it's a planet. These physicists came up with a very intriguing uh, thesis where it's actually a thing called a primordial black hole. Oh, oh no. Okay. And it's just hiding right in the corner of our solar system. That's a tiny black hole. Like I said, it's the size of a grapefruit. All right. And it would be completely hard to see because of the accretion disk around it would be so small because you're talking about something this small that it is possible. Now, a primordial black hole, what those are is, and we believe they're everywhere, but again, like many of the black holes, we're not talking about the ones in the middle of the galaxy that we know for a fact is there. We're talking about these weird things that we're not really sure whether they exist or not. But what this is supposed to be is a black hole that was formed during the Big Bang. Okay. And we believe that these are floating pretty much everywhere, and they just kind of do their thing. For our solar system to capture one would be very interesting and definitely worth the study, but it the math still works out the same way it would if a planet was out there. So if we look for the next 30 years where we're supposed to look and we still ain't found no planet, this is going to be the explanation that they go to. So it would be a 15 Earth mass black hole. Yeah, that's it. That's a really, really small black hole. Exactly. That's literally, when I say a size of a grapefruit, that is about how big they think it is. I mean, so you're talking a softball. Are you are you are you talking about the event horizon being like a few no, centimeters the from the core? Disc. Okay. The accretion disk, the part that we can actually see, is the size of a grapefruit. Amazing. So the event horizon might be the size of 
an American dime. <laughs> so it's not very dangerous, then? No, it's not dangerous at all, but it, it, it would have the mass to go ahead and just pull things away. It would mess everything up just like everything else would. Now, would it be dangerous if you got close to it, Dan? Well, define close. It's oh. still a black hole. Yes, you would have to get within... You would be affected by its gravity pretty way far out from it. Look at how Neptune is affecting stuff with gravity, and something as heavy as Neptune would, would have a lot of gravity. Yeah, I mean, so if you got within, you know... You're not going to pick it up like an American dime, I tell you that. Don't it bring would suck it here. you in, and you would be gone. It would spaghettify you. Oh, Could would... you imagine being pulled through a dime? Yes, that, that's no spaghettification. You have to be pretty large for a black hole to spaghettify you. This would just kill you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty much falling very quickly. Yeah, it would look like a Mortal Kombat fatality. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe it would be a great uh, slingshot for uh, journeys outside of the solar system. Now, that it would be the interesting thing, if we could find a way to locate it or even Planet Nine. Yeah. Using either one of those as a slingshot would be so helpful because there is enough mass there to really take, you know, we can really get a firing off off that. And that may be how we exit the Oort cloud and do it in a timely manner that yeah, – I'm I don't know how much it would speed us up, but it'd be a lot quicker than what we're thinking now. Well, actually, I like this theory. All all we know is that there is something very big out there, but uh, we, we only assumed it was a planet because we know planets. Um, primordial black holes are still not something we really know exists. Yeah, it's kind of a theoretical thing. Um, there has been other, I mean, everyone remembers the nemesis theory, which was there's a red dwarf way out in our solar system that we have been able to see. Oh. That kind of got proven wrong, but not completely yet, because we haven't discovered exactly what it is. We just know there's something out there. Um, it probably isn't a red dwarf, because I think mathematically it doesn't work out. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I think it's disproven. Yeah, but... But it could be a planet. It could be a primordial black hole. And all we it's know is that Sedna and friends are saying, oh, something is out there. It's pulling on us. Do something. Something heavy is out there. We know that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's very cool. I I know you love Planet Nine stuff. That's kind of been your thing for a while now. Yes. Uh, so I know the point that we haven't found it yet. Well, maybe this is why. Yeah, the primordial black hole would be a lot harder to look at. Yeah. In the field of space, you're looking for a grapefruit. So, um, I would rather look for a lit uh, literal needle in a haystack than that. There would not be a visual. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see uh, Neoworks yet. No. Have you? What? Neoworks. Neo what was it? Neoworks? The no. comet. No, I haven't. There's a comet that's been in the sky for weeks. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, it skipped past the sun. This comet comes around every 6,000 or so years. Oh, yeah, I remember last time. Yeah, Neowise, not Neowork. Okay. And it did come through uh, living in a city. I got to see it yesterday, finally, for the first time, but the tail is beginning to disappear. Oh, no. Because it's it came from the other side of the sun, so now it's actually getting into colder air, and the tail is disappearing, and it was extremely faint where I was at. Living in the city, I have so much light pollution, it's very hard to see. I'm actually in the mountains right now, so maybe I should go tonight and see if I see it. Can you see yeah. from the uh, entire northern hemisphere? I believe so. Um, 
Where right. The timing is the question, because I can see it for about an hour right after it gets dark in the United States. So I'm thinking for you, it'd be later in the day no. or later in the night. I don't know how that would work out, but you'd I'll, have to, I'll have to look it up. Yeah. As far as, you know, your local region, where I look is I find Ursus Major. You may know that as the Big Dipper. Mm-hmm. And basically from the end of the ladle, I look down. Okay. That's where it's at. It is in the northwest sky for me. Wow. And it's neat. You can you can see it with the naked eye. If you have a decent telescope, you can see the tail. Uh, again, it's very faint with the naked eye, and it's only going to get fainter. Uh, it's actually the closest to the Earth on July 23rd. Yes, sir. But and at that, could be going once it gets past there, you're almost not going to see it. Because yeah. so, it's, it's not huge, so it just kind of is... It gets around the sun, it forms a tail, and then the tail disappears. If you have a camera, you can set it to a very long exposure. Come out the next morning, grab your camera. Hey, you're going to see the tail then because you'll actually see the movement. The camera will pick it up. Uh, you won't see the tail with the naked eye, I promise you. But if you miss it, it will be back in uh, the year 8820. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're working on you know extended human life, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure they'll get us to that point sometime soon. <laughs> uh, we do have the Aquarians going on right now. They are going to be peaking July 28th, and you're going to find that in the southern sky usually. Mm-hmm. And then we also have the Perseids going on right now. <laughs> they oh, started awesome. July 17th. That's kind of more in your northern sky. And the best viewing days are going to be August 11th, 12th, and 13th. All right. So if you have clear skies those nights, I know in the United States I got to look in the morning before sunup for me to see those ones. I actually can see the Aquarians better due to time. Uh, it's more you know right at evening, you know early night, where this is more early morning for me. Yeah. But the Perseids do create a lot of. They give you a heck of a light show. Nice. One of these, I forget which one it is. Um, If it was the Perseids or the Aquarius, actually, one of their things hit our planet years ago, and we don't have dinosaurs now. All right. That was one of those. Yeah. (laughs) We fly through these every year. Um, Obviously, over the years, what's left is not as big as then. No. You know, our moon's taking care of a lot of them. But every year, we fly through these between July and August, and it's always good to look up and see shooting stars. Sweet. So we did a lot of talking about Saturn, and last night I was looking at Saturn. Was it beautiful? It, it, it is. If you look in the uh, the it, look towards the star, the ruby star. It's like this reddish star, um, T E Tauri. It's from. It, it basically you're looking for the constellation Taurus. Hmm. We have Venus, or I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong one here. Okay, so Venus is actually in Taurus. I'm sorry. Saturn is in opposition. In Sagittarius with Jupiter right now. Okay. Um, so I was actually out last night looking at them. It's, it's kind of funny. My neighbor was out earlier this week, and it was before I double-checked all my notes. And she's like, wow, that is a huge star right there. And I just, you know, flippantly just went, yes, Jupiter. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm positive. And then I went back in the house, and I went, I'm not 100% sure that's Jupiter. I was like, but it looked like Saturn was right next to it. And this is all naked eye staring. Wow. So then I, I start pulling stuff up on my calendar, you know, of spatial events, and bang, there it was. I felt good that I was right. <laughs> I think that's what I'm getting to with this. But 
No, I mean, they're clearly visible with the naked eye. You can actually, I grabbed my iPhone last night. No telescope, nothing like that. And just used the zoom on an iPhone and was able to see it perfectly round with the slightest orange. So, I mean, Jupiter's a big boy. And then Saturn's, you know, just, if you were to look down just a little bit and to the left, you're going to have Saturn right there as well. So if you have a telescope, please, by all means, get out there and get a look at these beautiful planets while they're actually there for the taking. And, you know, during the summer months, for us on the Northern Hemisphere, what else are you going to be doing while your house is still trying to cool off from the hot day? (laughs) Might as well go outside for a couple hours right after dark and look at them. For sure. Well, Dad, I love doing these with you. It was good to get another one in. Well, I have to, um, uh, you know, I wanted to mention more moons, but I have to defend one moon we haven't talked about. Okay, by all means. It's Rhea. This is the ninth largest moon in the solar system. And it, if it wasn't for Titan, this would be the biggest moon in the Saturnian system. It's pretty similar in size to Triton and Titania, which are the biggest moons around their planet. But, mm. uh, but we are way in the shadow of Titan. Yeah, I mean, scientifically right now, we're focused so much on Enceladus and Titan that... Yeah, because Rhea is a boring place. Yeah, yeah. There was another planet, or another planet, another moon that you wanted to bring up. It was one of the unnamed ones. Of course, we have to mention S2004, S26. It's the outermost known satellite uh, satellite of Saturn. It is only four kilometers, but it is orbiting Saturn irregularly, of course, because it's a captured space rock, but it's orbiting at a distance of almost 0.2 AUs. That's half the distance between the Sun and Mercury from Saturn. It's so far out, so it takes over four years to orbit Saturn. (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to wonder, at that distance, what, uh, how much closer does it have to get to Jupiter before Jupiter grabs it? I think Jupiter is... I know it's still a ways away, but Jupiter has a lot larger of a gravitational pull than Saturn does. So, like, I know at the halfway point, Jupiter would grab it before Saturn would. Yeah, we could probably calculate that, but I think you're, you should be safe around 1 AU from Saturn. But I think that yeah, Saturn but... can't keep you at that distance. But there is okay. notably very few things between Saturn and probably Jupiter would grab it. I mean, Jupiter seems to grab everything. Yes. Thank God that it does. But, you know, it's just one of those questions that, you know, just sits on the tip of my head going, hmm, I wonder how how much further does it need to get before Saturn gives it away and Jupiter's like mine. And then our numbers change ever so slightly and it becomes 82. Maybe that's the way Jupiter will catch up. Or maybe... There's a third option. It becomes a moon of Titan. Oh, I've always wondered about that. Why why are there no moons with moons? But uh, I think the explanation is that the gravity well of the of a planet is way bigger than the moon. That would make sense to a point. But when you start to get that far out, you know what I mean? We know Titan's leaving very slowly, but still leaving. Yeah. I mean, not that slowly. You know what Rhea has, by the way? I'm sorry? You know what Rhea has that's uh, unique? Uh, what is that? Uh, possibly. It's not proven yet, but there's possibly a very, very faint ring around Rhea. Not a moon, but a ring. I have heard that. Um, it's not a moon, but it's a ring. But at what point are we talking semantics here? Yeah, it's probably not a stable ring. So we'll talk about the age of rings in the next episode. I'll also mention the co-orbital moons next time. We, we very well will. When we dive deeper into the rings, we're going to go into... 
a little bit more of these small, you know, where these moons are located, so on and so forth. The shepherd moons. Yes. Uh, but, oh, Dan, yeah. before we go, yes. uh, last time I forgot to do this. Remember, it was the first podcast I had done in a while. I hope that this one turns out better than the last one. But uh, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm Dan Horning with an umlaut over the O. Um, that's, um, I'm the only person in the world with that name, so I should be easy to find. You can also find my other English podcast, Fan of History, which is super active right now. So we are doing an episode every other week about that's, ancient history. That's really good. That's a lot of studying. Now we're doing the whole chronology of world history starting in the year 1000 B.C., and we are just about to start on the 650s BC. So you guys are basically playing Civilization. Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, hey, dude, I love that game. <laughs> I also managed to bring back uh, all the uh, co-hosts of the 100 episodes. So all my old co-hosts came back to celebrate 100 episodes of Final History. So that was... I bet that was. Um, I know you have like 100 more shows, don't you? But I guess they're not It's only 14. Speaking. Okay, it's only 14. Right now. <laughs> if you look up Dan, he has a ton of shows. If you, you know, but they're all in Swedish, so people won't understand them. But if they speak Swedish, they will. No, that's that's true. <laughs> I mean, just because they don't live in Sweden doesn't mean that they might not speak Swedish. So, I at least want you to know that those are out there if you want to check them out. Um, if you wanted to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Gongsuo. That's G A N K S U O U. Um, outside of that, there's not much that I'm doing right now short of trying to start my own business. So uh, that's kind of its own thing at the moment. So I'm not the most active on Twitter. I think that place is a cesspool. But you can find both of us on the Fan of Astronomy Facebook page. Please go hit that like button. If you enjoyed this, uh, let us know what's going on. You can answer some of the questions. You can tell me I was wrong about half the stuff I said. I'll defend what I can. (laughs) <laughs> most of what I pull comes, comes off of NASA but yeah until the next time uh, thank you for listening and you know, keep looking to the stars you never know what you're going to find What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.